Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. On this beautiful Sunday morning, I'm Brenda Olasey. Joe Beamer is off this weekend. And joining me right now is political strategist and partner at Massiello, Martucci, and Calabrese, Carl Calabrese himself. Good morning, Carl. Good morning, Brenda. Good to hear from you. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I know you'll be celebrating a little later. And, uh, you know, it's a busy political time, Carl, and I wanted to bring Senator Rob Ort on Hardline, and he's kind enough to join us. Good morning, Senator. Good morning, Brenda, and good morning, Carl. Good morning, Rob. Congratulations, Rob, on becoming the minority leader in the New York State Senate. Uh, What do you think was the main factor in your victory? Uh, Well, thank you, uh, first of all, uh, and uh, it's it, I just I can't say enough how much of a uh, humbling and incredible honor uh, it is to uh, uh, you know to be named the minority leader uh, to be elevated to a position of leadership amongst your colleagues you know people who are uh, your equal and people who have been elected uh, you know by their constituents to represent them in Albany is a great honor uh, one of the best one of the great honors of my life so far and um, I would say you know if there's a if there was a, uh, a message that we laid out in my candidacy, it was uh, that of change, that, that we felt the, the conference, the Republican conference in the Senate, at this juncture, at this time, there, there had to be a change in the direction, uh, you know, across the board, both in the internal sort of operations of the Senate Republican conference, but also in our messaging. Uh, and I, I felt that um, uh, that certainly... Uh, connected with a lot of my colleagues, uh, many of my colleagues who will be staying. Uh, we have 13 colleagues who are running for re-election. We have a number, obviously, who, who have chosen not to. Many of the colleagues who will be returning uh, supported me, and I think that was uh, indicative that they wanted to see change. They wanted to see more energy uh, uh, and a, you know, sort of a, a sharper contrast between us and the increasingly uh, uh, you know, radical, uh, uh, progressive, uh, Democratic Party that we see coming out of out of Albany, and so I think that was that was the the main driving factor. But I do want to give uh, uh, a, sh- a shout out, and I want to thank uh, Senator Gallivan, um, who was uh, is a friend 
and is an, an ally, and obviously a fellow Western New Yorker, and who was uh, uh, conducted himself with integrity uh, through the whole process. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for his support and the entire conference's support. What was uh, Senator Gallivan's reaction, uh, Rob? And do you have any concern about working together since he was vying for the same position? So none at all, actually. You know, um, this is this was my third. I've been in the Senate now. Uh, this is my I'm in my sixth year, my third term. And this is my my third leadership um, uh, vote. You know, obviously, the first one that I was a part of as a as a candidate. Uh, but um, in both of the other two, you know, we, we actually had uh, a contested vote in in the room, sort of, you know, behind closed doors in conference. And, uh, you know, you had sort of this split. And those are tough. But in both cases, you know, the conference was able to come together and, and, and move forward because that's just what you have to do. And certainly in this moment in time when Republicans, you know, were outnumbered in the Senate, uh, by, you know, 40 to 22, um, you know, we're facing a, a huge election year coming up in November. We have uh, enrollment, uh, major enrollment disadvantage across the state. We don't have time to be concerned with, you know, internal divisiveness and sort of petty politics of personality. We have to be united on the big picture. And, and uh, Senator Gallivan, we had a good conversation um, on Sunday or on uh, Friday morning, um, and uh, uh, he expressed his support for me. Uh, he had no interest in having a, a contested vote for the sake of just having the vote. Uh, and uh, he called his folks and, and then made the decision to, uh, to withdraw and support me. And I, I honestly, uh, Brenda, had no doubt that he would, just knowing Senator Gallivan over the years. Uh, and then the same would have been true had it gone the other way. I would have supported him and worked together. Um, we have very similar views. We have similar districts. We have similar voting records, uh, maybe different styles and, and personalities. But uh, ultimately, I think we have the same vision uh, for our conference going forward. Rob, shortly after your victory, you said you'll be the voice of opposition. But, you know, of, of course, the question looms, how can you move your projects forward with Democrats in the majority? Well, certainly the, the role of a minority party is to be, or the goal of the minority party is to be in the majority. Um, and you have to recognize uh, that you're not, and you have to chart a course forward to be in the majority. Uh, so when we talk about being the voice of, of the opposition, right now there's uh, people forget, you know, we have 22 senators, but we, those 22 senators represent millions of New Yorkers. And uh, those New Yorkers, uh, and there's many more, uh, we believe, that are looking for, they, they want us to stand for something. They, they, you have to present an alternative. You just can't say, you know, this side is wrong, and hopefully everyone will see that and come out and vote for us. You have to give them a contrast. You have to, to, de to define who we are, what we stand for, what our message is, um, and, and, and that's, that's what I intend to do um, in a way that I don't think has been done up to this point, um, and, or at least in the time that I've been in the Senate. Rob, let me ask a couple on that, if I can. Um, sure. You just bring up a point that, that's been around for a while. As you know, I've been involved in Republican politics my entire adult life, and one of the criticisms that I've heard over the years from Republicans, especially conservative Republicans, is that the Republicans in the, in the Senate have been very timid about standing up for Republican values, conservative values, and have essentially, over the years, assumed the role of, of Democrat light. And, of course, 
the problem with that is, is the old saying, why would a voter vote for an imitation uh, when you can vote for the real thing on, on the liberal side? Uh, so lots of conservative Republicans have been very frustrated with it, the inability of the party to make sharp distinctions on issues and to offer the alternatives you just mentioned. And I, I'd like to get your views on how you see your role in addressing that issue, and even if you think it's a legitimate issue. I absolutely think it's a legitimate issue, and I can tell <clears throat> your, the listeners I have felt that as a state senator. When I, you know, when I was first elected to Albany, it was very apparent that that was a challenge. And look, we're it's a big state, right? We have um, uh, we have you know members in, in, in districts you know downstate on Long Island and the New York City suburbs um, that uh, you know that their constituencies uh, and their messaging may be somewhat different than, you know, Rob Orts or Pat Gallivans or uh, George Borellos or someone like that. But at the end of the day, um, I think you're 100% right. It's a legitimate issue. And I think that is what the members who um, – I think that's what our conference wants to see going forward. Because if we have any chance uh, of, of regaining the majority, you have to offer that distinction, not only differentiating yourself from the opposition, in this case the, the Senate Democrats – um, but also offering an alternative. What is our alternative? What is our vision? And do we stand up for those issues when the moment comes? You know, not just when you're on the campaign stump, but do you stand up for them in Albany? And I think people want to see some some fight, some vigor, some defense. You know, principled defense. And I think the way you all, you you address that, Carl, is you know maybe again every district is somewhat different. So you know you got to. Uh, the candidates have to or the uh, members have to tailor that messaging a little bit to their districts because they know their districts better than anybody. But you have to have uh, a vigorous defense. Uh, and, and this is this is a fight. I mean, this is the, the this is not a, a time for the faint of heart. This is not uh, a time to if you're if you're in politics, if you're in state government, uh, certainly at the federal level, uh, you better be prepared to get in there and articulate and fight for the things you believe in. And I do think voters want to see that. Uh, and I think the bases want to see that. And if we lose our base, um, we cannot, you can't grow something you don't have. So if you lose your base, you certainly can't expect to grow more voters. I think that's sometimes a misnomer that you can pick up other voters while losing the people that have supported you all along. You have to find a way to grow that base uh, and increase it, not alienate it. And, and that's what I uh, certainly will work with our conference uh, across the state and different uh, folks outside of the Senate to do just that. And, Rob, uh, two-part question. What are some of the specifics that you want to see uh, in terms of growing that base? The, 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 and also, uh, you had mentioned that you want to bring in African-Americans, women, other underrepresented people. are moving progressively left in a very aggressive way. I'm sorry. I think I had two questions there, one from Carl from <laughs> ah, Brenda. Yeah, let me uh, let me tell you my question again. And, and uh, again, folks, we're I'm working from home, and Carol's at a different location. So bear with us as we uh, we do this uh, work from home remote uh, broadcast. But but uh, Rob, I wanted to ask you a two part question. When you talk about building that base, specifically, what topics and, and issues do you think are most important uh, in terms of priority? You know, one, two, and three as you move forward. And secondly, you had said something. Um, recently about bringing in more underrepresented people to the party, African-Americans, women, others who have not typically been part of the Republican Party. How will you achieve that? 
So I'll, I'll go in reverse, if you don't mind, Brenda. Sure. I'll unpack the, the second part first. I, I, I think it's, 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 you know, when I first got elected to the Senate, I used this example. Um, when I was elected to the Senate in 2015, we actually had more women legislators in our conference on the Republican side than the Democrats did. But you would never have known that, nor did many people hear about that, uh, which is a, a shame and, and, a, and a missed opportunity, certainly, because you get a different perspective. That's what, by bringing in different folks, whether it's from different parts of the state, female, male, um, and women make up half the electorate. And, uh, and I think it's important. You know, the Democrats do a great job. They play the identity politics uh, all day long. Um, and I know a lot of conservatives don't want to play that. But we have to make sure that to get to the issues, I think it's important to be able to have that talk about issues and about our vision. Sometimes you have to have people that, that look like the state, right? You've got to be able to be uh, as representative of the state uh, as you can. And um, we need to have more women uh, in, in leadership, not just in the conference as a prop. We need to empower our female legislators to recruit more um, and there are, you know, uh, the, the Democrats, you know, a lot of people feel that if you're a female legislator, then that means you, you know, you're, you're a Democrat, you're pro-choice, you're liberal. Um, and that's just not true. There are plenty uh, of female legislators, I know in our conference, that are pro-Second Amendment, pro-life, uh, that stand up for all the conservative values uh, uh, that the Republican Party stands for. And, and we have to do a better job of recruiting those candidates. We need to get younger candidates. And we should find uh, minority candidates. You're not going to tell me that there's not an, uh, a black conservative, a uh, Latino conservative out there. Uh, they're, they're out there, and we're going to find them. And that, that goes to the recruitment, right? That's on uh, the recruitment side. I, I, I can't necessarily do anything about that today because most of our candidates for the cycle have been recruited. But that is going to be a long-term and a long-range plan. Uh, as far as the issues, Brenda, just real quickly, uh, I think, look, at, there's no question, affordability, the, the cost of living in New York State. And that's only going to go up with the Democrats in charge, especially with the economy. You know, you're hearing nothing about, uh, there's been no decisions about reducing spending, making tough uh, cuts, being more efficient with people's money. It's all, it's all going to be about tax increases uh, and chasing more people out of the state, um, hammering small businesses with regulations. And those small businesses, when they leave, guess what they take? They take the jobs. Uh, and so New York State is, you know, it, continues to be one of the most expensive states, highest regula regulated states to live. And that's the result of this governor and multiple years of, of Democratic uh, uh, policies. I think when you talk about uh, public safety, that is going to be an increasingly big issue when you have calls from legislators in the Senate um, saying that the NYPD has not kept them safe. These are the same people who, you know, the, the NYPD that I remember and that I think of are the men and women who ran into the, the towers on 9-11 to save people. Uh, but this generation of, of legislators we have in New York State Senate apparently has either forgotten that or disregards that when they say things like, to, you know, defund uh, the NYPD. And there's no question we can have a discussion about, uh, you know, uh, uses of, of power by the police or, 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 you know, how they respond to situations. Those conversations happen all the time. But to demonize our men and women in law enforcement, to demonize their families, and to put at risk the safety of the constituents we represent, uh, I think is a grave mistake from a policy standpoint. And that is an area that we are going to absolutely focus on uh, and talk about. And then I think just lastly, 
It's just individual liberty. It's individual liberty. Uh, increasingly, I think the Republican Party stands much more for individual liberty and freedom and responsibility. And the Democratic Party is going hard left into a nanny state uh, where they're going to try to control your thoughts, your speech. Um, and nowhere is that more evident than New York City and, and, and Albany as a result. So those are going to be three broad areas uh, or even, I guess, specific areas in some cases where we are going to focus. Right, well, Carol, go ahead with your question. The, the virus. Uh, do you have a sense of the mood of your caucus? If there is a resurgence of the virus in New York and uh, an attempt to lock down the state again, if not a total lockdown, partial lockdowns, what is the mood of your conference in, in using that approach should there be a resurgence in New York State? So um, I have been, first of all, uh, very uh, critical of uh, you know, the fact that the governor continues to basically um, manage uh, the state of New York, run the state of New York uh, by executive order. I think the, the, the time for you know, the governor having to make instantaneous decisions, I, I think, has subsided. I mean, this, this kind of emergency or this kind of a situation is going to be with us. I think most people recognize now in some way, shape or form for a long time. And we can't, you know, our, our government was not designed or founded to be run by one person. I think everybody can agree with that. Democrat, Republican, you know, independent, whatever it might be. I think everyone should be able to, to coalesce around the idea that we have a legislative branch to check the executive branch. And obviously you have your judicial branch. The legislative branch has willingly, because of the majorities, decided they don't want to be part of these tough decisions, right? They want to certainly, they, you know, return to Albany and pass certain legislative uh, issues that come up. But when it comes to the pandemic, they're happy to let the governor make all these hard decisions and, and, and make, um, you know, these executive orders that change hundreds of laws. That, I think, has to stop. That There is no need for that. Uh, we are elected representatives. We need to be part of those discussions. And I think it's important that we are. As far as, you know, should there be a resurgence, um, you know, obviously we want to reopen smartly. Um, we want to respect uh, individual freedom um, and responsibility. But obviously, you know, we want to make sure people understand, uh, you know, just be, be smart. I mean, businesses need to be smart. Uh, employers need to be smart. And they will be. Uh, I believe, you know, every business, every employer I've talked to, they want, the last thing they want is to be responsible or be affected by some sort of outbreak amongst their employees or their customers. Um, you know, the masks are a good example. Uh, you know, there's this whole debate, a political debate about masks. You know, if you don't wear a mask, you know, you're reckless or you must be a Republican. And if you wear a mask uh, in the car by yourself or going to bed, then you must be a liberal. I, I think there's got to be a balance here, you know. Uh, you wear a mask if you're in an elevator, if you're in a crowded area. Um, but if you're out for a walk with your dog in your neighborhood and you can socially distance, I don't know why you'd wear the mask, unless you wanted to. Uh, I guess that, that's part of that individual uh, freedom, if you would. But I think we have, to be, we have to be cognizant that we cannot shutter our economy for a year. We can't shutter our economy until there's a vaccine. Um, we are going to have to find a way to be responsible citizens to each other and, and, you know, and to ourselves from a public health standpoint. But we have Americans 
I mean, this is the country where we, we stormed the beaches of Normandy. This is the, you know, the country where we, we, we uh, threw off the shackles of the most powerful empire uh, at that time in, in world history. This is the country where, again, men and women ran into buildings that were on fire that were going to come down. This is a, a country of brave men and women. And, and, and we're brave because that's what you have to do to protect liberty and freedom. It, it's not going to be defended by the weak. You have to be brave. And, and I'm not saying to be reckless. But we're going to have to find a way to show the world that you can have an, an open economy and a society while still being safe and protecting uh, uh, the public health. And I think we're getting there. Uh, there's been some missteps and there's certainly been some criticisms from me. Uh, and I think we have to get back to a level of governance that uh, uh, should be expected in, in, a, in a republic. Uh, but at the same time, I think we can get there with that discourse and by being smart. And I think most New Yorkers understand that. Rob, uh, we've got less than a minute, but I, I did want to ask you about the resigna resignation of your longtime aide, Robert Welch, who was involved in an incident with juveniles in North Tonawanda. And this morning, uh, I learned that the woman who was involved in that same incident was fired by the school board. Um, any any uh, reaction to what happened? I know you must be terribly disappointed with the whole situation. Uh, that is definitely the, the term. And uh, we uh, he had been with me for 10 years. Uh, we certainly had never seen uh, anything uh, that would indicate, you know, what happened on the video. Uh, he did a, a very good job on behalf of the people of the 62nd District. But when you see that video, um, there's just no other conclusion uh, that I could have come to uh, than, uh, you know, he had to uh, leave employment uh, with my office uh, because what he did, uh, you know, re reflected poorly on the staff, re reflected poorly on our office. Uh, and certainly reflects, I think, even poorly on uh, the people uh, uh, of the district and, and, and uh, who he is supposed to, to serve and help. And, I, you know, there's, there was no way he was going to be able to come back and do his job the way it would need to be done, given what everyone saw in that video. And there's no way that what happened on that video is representative of our office's values, professionalism, or standards of conduct. And for that reason, uh, you know, we asked for his resignation, and uh, he submitted it. And it was accepted. State Senator Rob Ort, congrats again on your new position. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you both, Carl and Brenda. And uh, Carl, happy Father's Day. Thank you. Thank you very much, Rob. Much more to come on Hardline after this break. News at the top of the hour. And then Carl and I will be back to talk about the Trump-Tulsa rally, the New York 27 race, and much more right here on Hardline. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.